morning. My name's Sharon. I'm an alcoholic. Good to have the opportunity to be part of this interview this morning and share my story. Hopefully something that I say today may reach the ears of somebody who's listening and either give them something to think about themselves in relation to their drinking and patterns or perhaps someone in their family and enable them to reach out and get support because there is help available. So that was something that, um, you know, I didn't know for a long time of what was wrong with me. Um, you know, I, um, I remember the very first time I... I got drunk, and that's not to say that that was the first time that I was introduced to alcohol, but the first time I got drunk was I was at the age of 13. I was invited by a family member, a family friend, to babysit her two children while her and her husband went out. And while they, before they went out, the mother said to me, there's a cask of port on the counter there's some lemonade in the fridge you can help yourself to a couple of glasses just mix it half and half um didn't really think anything of it but they came home a few hours later and I remember having two glasses of that port mixed with the lemonade and thinking this isn't doing anything so I ditched the lemonade and drank the port straight. By the time they got home, the children were looking after themselves and I was drunk and passed out, laying in my own vomit, wrapped around the bottom of the toilet. So that was the first memory that I have of ever getting drunk. But over time in recovery and thinking about whether that was actually the first time I got introduced to alcohol, I don't think so. So, you know, I'm in my 50s and, you know, as a child back in those days, you know, there was alcohol in cough syrup and things like that. And I remember that if anybody gave me cough syrup genuinely because I had a cold, um, I would want more and I would go back for more. And then I would, you know, it would turn out in the end that you know people would have to hide it from me because I just kept wanting more of it so understanding what I do today of the disease of alcoholism and you know it taking that first mouthful of alcohol triggers that physical allergy coupled with a mental obsession that forces me to continue to drink once I start for me, I understand and believe today that I was born an alcoholic. I don't believe that, you know, I started drinking and then suddenly one day turned into one. I believe that I was born with this. It's one of the oldest diseases in the world and it's the one that's known the least amount. Um, you know, there's in Australia, you know, alcoholism isn't recognised um, as an actual health condition like it is in the state um, and you know there's um, you know there's it's, it's it's probably one of the most confusing things if you're in the pit of um, alcoholism and you don't know it um, 
so you know that that was my my first drunk at the age of thirteen. I remember being horribly sick the next day. Probably did what everybody does when they take their first drink of um, alcohol and vow and declare never ever going to drink port again. Um, but what I do remember about the days after that was that I very quickly forgot about how sick it made me and I couldn't wait to do it again. There was something about that feeling that I chased from that moment on. I left home at the age of 16 um, and I didn't didn't move on to do anything great and wonderful with my life. I gravitated towards those people that were doing the same things that I wanted to do. And that was drink alcohol. So I moved into a house with a whole heap of friends. We lived from doll check to doll check. And, you know, on the on the pay week that everybody got paid, we'd have kegs and we'd have big parties and, you know, everyone got fed and there was always plenty to drink. And then at the end of the night when the keg was running out, the hat would go around and we'd fill up the hat and somebody would go down and get us another keg. And, and you know, that was nothing abnormal back then. That was just how it was. And, you know, my attitude then was that was living, you know, this was being part of and this was being, you know, this was having fun and anybody else that didn't do that sort of stuff was, you know, led a pretty boring kind of lifestyle. And anyway, I became a young mum at the age of 17 and for a little while that slowed me down. But the moment my daughter became independent, then, you know, I gravitated back towards... um, those that were doing exactly what I was doing. So, you know, I had a, I was friends with a group of young mums and, and we drank and we looked after our kids and, um, you know, we say that now, but I think back on it, you know, it was probably pretty irresponsible being, you know, a drunk mother with, you know, babies around and that sort of thing. But at the time didn't think, really didn't think anything of it. You know, there were no consequences. So it was just, we were doing what we were doing and, um, and thought everything was okay. But, you know, I, um, I fast forward and and pretty soon, you know, just to put some context around it, I drank for 33 years. So I started drinking, you know, at the age of... Um, had my first drunk at 13 and really took off, you know, drinking from about the age of 16 and I put it down at the age of 43 when I came into recovery. And throughout that 33 years, alcoholism, as I understand it today, is a progressive disease. It gets worse. It doesn't get any better. But I set about on all these missions of, you know, once I became aware that it was a problem of trying to not necessarily fix me, um, but tried so many other things that I thought might fix the problem. And that was... I started out being a beer drinker, I was never going to drink anything else because I saw what drinking Bundy and vodka and things like that did to people. You know, they would get to a certain time of night and then they'd turn and people would start picking fights and arguing and, you know, trouble would start. That I would be on the outside looking in at that and thinking, you know, I'm never going to drink that stuff, you know, because at least while I'm just drinking beer, I'm still in control and... um, and, that, and it's 
stayed like that for quite some time. It did get to a point that, you know, that, and throughout those early years in the 20s, in my 20s, when everybody was doing and living this way, um, there was nothing wrong with it because I was just doing what everybody else was doing. And if anybody tried to pull me up for the way I was behaving or the way that I was drinking or anything like that, I was really confused by that because my friends did exactly the same thing. So, you know, why are people trying to stop me from living the way that I want to live and I'm not hurting anybody and you know I, I really had no connection with the fact that I was a mother and I had responsibilities and I probably should have been at home with my child looking after her and not being in a front bar or out with my friends and you know kids wanting to go home because that's where they wanted to be but parents too consumed with um, drinking and having a good time and and you know selflessly participating in a you know a massive party life that wasn't that great for kids to be around anyway um but you know if I fast forward a little bit like I always worked so I was a you know a functioning alcoholic I was a single mum so I did the best that I could to provide for my daughter she didn't go without anything when it comes to you know clothing her offering her material things I hadn't sent her to private school but there was a disconnect, you know, with that emotional connection between a parent and a child. You know, I I was so consumed with living the way that I was that that was, and I didn't know it until I got into recovery, but really that was my priority. And she was okay. What more could she possibly want from me? You know, what more does, what more does she want from me? I'm doing everything that I can. And if she was asking for anything else, then she's just being selfish and, I've brought her up in such a way that now she's so damn spoiled that, um, you know, this is my fault because this is how I've conditioned her to be. So the very, very confusing, you know, time throughout that when you're acting and behaving that way and you really don't have any, you know, real connection to what's going on underneath. So other people could see it, but I couldn't see it. Anyway, um, fast forward and... My daughter grew up, she left home about the age of 16 and, you know, and because then at that time I was living in a small country town and and thought, you know, beauty, I can get my life back. I can leave this country town and never wanted to come here in the first place. Um, it was through my father's job that we ended up there and I hated it right from day one and I remember, you know, when that con- condition with myself, as soon as I was old enough I was out of here Um but then when that day came that my daughter left home and and then I just remember looking around one day and thinking, you know, if, if this is it, then, you know, this is this is pretty sad. So I packed up and moved back to Adelaide. And, you know, the, the safety net of being in a country town is that pubs close at a certain time and, you know, there's not the, the 24-hour services of alcohol. But, of course, in the city there is. So... Once again, I didn't gravitate to do anything great and wonderful. It just led me to, you know, the pubs, the clubs, the dives, you know. I would drink in places that, you know, I perhaps once would have thought that I would never even enter a place like that. But the booze was there and then that's where I ended up, anywhere to get a drink in the end. I still at this point didn't really know it was a problem because, um, you know, if I... If anybody ever said to me that, you know, I was an alcoholic, I would have argued with that because, 
you know, alcoholics uh, in my mind was something very different to what I was and I could stop drinking. You know, I'd drink myself that sick that I would have to stop drinking for a few days to recover, but I could stop drinking. And I remember questioning somebody about it one day and saying, you know, how do you know if you're an alcoholic? And, you know, this was a close friend of mine who pushed back and said, don't be ridiculous, you know. Alcoholics have to drink every day. If you were an alcoholic, then you would not be able to stop drinking and you can stop. So you're not an alcoholic. And I was quite happy with that. So um, I didn't... um, you know, I didn't didn't see that there was there was anything wrong with that, and in fact, I agreed with them. So that gave me license to just keep drinking. But you know, what I've learnt since I've come into recovery is that it's not how often, it's not how much, it's not whether it comes from the top shelf or the bottom shelf, whether it, you're drinking it out of a brown paper bag, a bottle in a brown paper bag, or if you're drinking it out of a a cardboard box. If it's in a brown glass bottle or a, a clear glass bottle, how expensive it is makes no difference. It's what it does to you when you do take that first drink. So what I, reflecting and looking back over my my life as a practising alcoholic, you know, there's a saying in AA, it's the first drink that does the damage and it's the first drink that, propelled me to continue if I didn't take that first drink then I would never have got drunk but I didn't know not to take the first drink and that it was that one that did the damage then I also didn't know that once I did take that first drink that I was forced to continue so one's too many a hundred's not enough I drink till I drop I drink because it it gives me relief for me and then when I get that relief I'm in that state of euphoria and it's you know it, it's wonderful I haven't got a care in the world and you know who wouldn't want to be me you know it's all of this this grandiose idea and you know I'm living in a fantasy world that I think everything's fantastic and I'm doing great and I look I'm okay so what I have a few drinks I'm not hurting anybody my business not theirs um but you know it's um so it's true what they say, you know, it's very it's very cunning, baffling and powerful. And, you know, if I think about, you know, because I've been in recovery for almost 11 years now, if I look back over that time and think about, you know, those times in between where I put the drink down, and I could put it down, but it was generally because I'd, I would put it down because I'd made myself so sick from a bender that I had been on that, you know, it just, it wasn't okay to put it down, recover and everything's okay. It was put it down, recover. What I didn't know was that it was only a matter of time before I was picking up my next one. Um, And then in the last 10 years of my drinking, that that was the most confusing, scary, um, you know, I I could feel within myself that something had changed. You know, as a, as a young drinker, I would go to parties, drink all night, pass out, wake up in the morning, walk up the local shell, have a pie for breakfast and a can of Coke and a great big belch, and I'd be fine. But as the years 
continued on, I would be one of these people that would wake up two, three o'clock in the morning. I'd be a shaking, shivering, sweating mess. I couldn't go back to sleep. And I made all these promises to myself that, you know, if I ever became a morning drinker, I'll quit. If I can't go to work without a drink, I'll quit. If I ever get to that point that I start behaving like that person, I'll quit. But I made that many conditions with myself and promises and I broke every single one of them. I always shifted the goalpost and I did that and more. And, you know, a lot of it, um, you know, I became somebody that I just, I couldn't bear to live with and I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror in the end. I was so disgusted with the person that I had turned into. And the craziness in all of this was to deal with all of that, you know, with some of the events that unfolded, uh, nights that I'd been drinking. Um, the way to deal with that was to drink again. So I did turn into that person that would wake up in the morning full of fear or, you know, there would be massive voids in where I'd been the night before. I knew that I'd started out somewhere, but... I would come to out of a blackout and I'd be somewhere else with a whole heap of people that I'd never met before, yet we're acting like we're best mates. And I'd have no idea how I got there. I'd have no idea where I'd, where my car was, um, you know, or I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be in my own bed and I'd have no idea. I would just lose hours. And that became really scary. You know, I just, half the time I didn't even know what happened to me. Um and that, that's how it ended up. Um, I remember, you know, my, I remember that first drunk at the age of 13 and I remember my last one. And what I'm so thankful for today is that I, I had that last one. But that last one lasted about eight days and it was a vodka bender from somebody that said all those years ago I would never drink vodka. That was my go-to medicine in the end, that if I'd had a big night out and there would come, you know, so much planning would have to come into it because I'd be bargaining with myself all the time. In the end, I knew what it meant for me. I couldn't go to the pub and have one or two drinks with work colleagues on a Friday night because I'd go home at 8 o'clock and I'd stay. And even though I didn't want to, I'd be drinking against my will. But once I had that first couple... All bets are off. I was out for the night and I would just keep going. But at some point, I would have to get to the bottle shop because I knew I was going to need something in the morning. And vodka was it in the end. That was my medicine. So I always had it kept in the top drawer next to my um, bed. And I would wake up in the morning and I'd be sitting up in bed sipping on vodka until I felt some kind of normalisation come back over me that I could begin to function so I couldn't even start my day in the end without drinking and if I did manage to put it down and leave it down I'd try to you know do all these other things that um you know positive things like get back into the gym and get back into fitness and you know and I achieved some great things throughout those times you know like I trained and ran half marathons and but you know I was obsessed with it so all I did was put the booze down and I picked up something else that just would replace that that feeling of emptiness inside me. Cause I, and I would push 
and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd grind myself that hard into, you know, having to, having to, and having to, that in the end I would just drop from exhaustion. And the one thing that I used to go to all the time was the booze to pick me back up again. Um, so it was a vicious cycle, and that went on for about 10 years, and it went on almost to the bitter end for me. Um, I remember about two weeks before I came into recovery, I weighed about 47 kilos, ringing wet. I was really sick. You know, I just, I had lost all sense of self. I just, you know, I felt like I was an emotional cripple. I I cried a lot, but I didn't know what I was crying about most of the time. I just felt really sad and really lonely and really worthless. I felt helpless. I was just hopeless, useless, all of those things, you know. And the only thing that I had left, and I really wasn't doing that that well in the end either, was my job. And I was almost ready to walk away from that. I remember sitting on a front veranda one day and just looking out at the world and thinking about, you know, I don't even... I, so go anywhere near the meaning of life you know what does this mean and you know what what have I done with mine you know and all of these memories started coming back of how badly I'd treated my daughter and you know because I was a blackout drinker and I became quite violent and and I remember a situation that involved her one night and you know the just the the shame of all of that situation just you know was so heavy on me that you know, I just remember thinking, I'm, I'm finished. Like I'm, I'm just done for. You can't get any lower than this right now. And and looking out at the world, and you know, just I don't even know what's real anymore. I don't know what's true, and I don't know what's false, and I just don't know. I don't know anything. And you know, it was probably a couple of weeks after that that I so I'd gone on that that one last bender. And it, you know, it didn't didn't succeed in killing me, but it succeeded in pushing me closer to something that I didn't really understand. You know, my my grandmother. This is the interesting thing about alcoholism. The interesting and the very scary thing about alcoholism. My grandmother was a um, chronic alcoholic. She's a big whiskey drinker, and she was found wandering through some ruins out the back of Alice Springs one day and she didn't know her name. She didn't know where she was. She didn't know any of her family members. And from that day on, she never regained that memory again. So she had all sorts of, you know, medical assessments and and it turned out that, you know, the diagnosis was alcohol alcoholic dementia. Well, what I understand today is that it was Korsakoff syndrome. What's interesting and really scary about that is that you don't know which drink can do that. So alcoholics don't necessarily have to be dead to die. And, you know, if there's... When I was laying in in my bed on that last morning that I woke up and I just remember looking at this, you know, stark white ceiling 
same condition that I always woke up in. I was a shaking, shivering, sweating mess. And I just remember laying there and looking up at the roof and, you know, if you really do exist, old mate, I need a leg up. I need help. There was something different about the way I asked for that. Now, my, my grandmother's memory didn't come into my mind at that point, but it did some time later, you know, that um, I just wonder whether she had a hand in helping me get into recovery because I couldn't do it on my own. I did speak to a lot of people, you know, in that last 10 years. I was getting scared and I was I was worried about myself and I knew I was failing at my job. I'd clean up, I'd get good, I'd go to work and I'd completely baffle my managers because one minute I can't get it together and next minute I'm on fire, you know. So I left them quite confused about my behaviour and what was really going on for me and I was so guarded, I was so ashamed of, of the truth. I was so ashamed to tell people I can't stop drinking. It's not a problem when I don't drink, although I say that now, but it is a problem when I don't drink and that's the problem is because I'm getting physically well enough to get mentally sick enough that I'm already planning to pick up that next drink and I don't even know it. But that's untreated alcoholism. So, you know, recovery has given me a second chance at life. Um, Not everyone gets that. You know, alcoholism is a chronic disease and it can be fatal. And it can be fatal whether, like I said before, you don't have to be dead to be dying. From this disease, um, it takes everything from you. It'll it'll take every last bit of anything good that's left. You know, it, it is. It just you know, it just rapes you of everything. And you know, it can take away those you love. It can take away the job. It can take away your shelter. It can take away your food. It just takes. There's nothing if for, for a practicing alcoholic. There is absolutely nothing good or anything left in the bottle. That's how it was for me. Um, You know, some years on into recovery and that job that I was going to run away from, I, through the aid of recovery, I stuck at it and I worked really hard. You know, once I became clear enough, I detoxed and, you know, worked got some confidence back and some self-esteem back and um, trust back from my employers and I built myself, you know, back up into that role and, you know, today I've been promoted quite a few times and well, I've been working for that agency and I have a fantastic job today. I have fantastic opportunities. I'm in a, a very healthy, stable relationship. That was something that was really foreign to me. Um the only thing I cared about was the booze. And, if you know, my current partners at the time, they didn't like what I was doing. Well, they went before the grog did. Um, you know, I, um, I'm i fit, I'm healthy, I'm the fittest and the healthiest I've ever been in my life. My, I had, you know, had my passion at the age of 18 was to enter a bodybuilding competition and, you know, a bit hard to do when you've got a dumbbell in one hand and a pint of beer in the other and, you know, you're... 
you're in this mental torture of what needs to go. Well, the dumbbell did and, the you know, the pint won out and it won out for a lot of years. But since getting sober, you know, that, that passion somehow made its way back and um, I ended up in the gym and I ended up training and, you know, for my 50th birthday, I got on stage, you know. Recovery, Alcoholics Anonymous has just given given me more than a second chance at life. I remember, you know, if I made one last bargain that morning when I was laying in that bed and I said, if you're up there, old mate, I really need a leg up. I remember that what came next in my thinking was, I will do whatever you want. I don't care if I don't have another friend. I don't care if I don't have another boyfriend. I don't care if I'm unemployable. I don't care if the only shelter that you give me is a piece of corrugated iron and I have to live on the side of a hill and hunt for my food. Just, I just don't want to drink anymore. We have local meetings uh, for the full week in the local area. Uh, Monday is Gala meeting at 8 o'clock. Tuesday is Elizabeth East at 8 o'clock. Wednesday is Elizabeth East at 8 o'clock. Thursday is Two Wells at 8 o'clock. And Friday is Salisbury at 8 o'clock. There's a meeting at Davron Park at 12 o'clock. And on Sunday there's a meeting in Salisbury at 7 o'clock. And many other meetings in the area. For details of your local meetings, please phone thirteen hundred double two double two double two. And once again, if anyone you know is struggling with alcohol issues, please call Alcoholics Anonymous on thirteen hundred double two double two double two, or check out their website on a.org.au.